Kundalini yoga oftentimes is considered dangerous. I would say anything that's powerful tends to be dangerous. Hi, this is Tori Madison with the Human Be True podcast. What do you know to be true? If your truth was the truth, to what extent would you live your life? What if the truth you hold within yourself has the power to shape your reality? In this podcast, we discuss ancient spiritual truths and wisdom to elevate human consciousness, restore our identities, and bring us back into balance with ourselves and one another. As your host, I interview gurus, shamans, healers, truth seekers, rebels, and nonconformists who live their truth daily. My podcast was inspired by the fascinating conversations, strange encounters, psychedelic journeys, spiritual enlightenment, and kundalini awakenings I've experienced over the past 10 years of healing, living, breathing, and walking the path of overcoming great grief and sorrow. I've uncovered healing rituals, ancient medicine practices, and tangible tools to awaken my heart to dream again, have hope for my future, and enjoy the sacred breath of each moment. I help my listeners do the same. I offer these podcasts freely, and your support really makes a difference. To make a donation, please subscribe to the Human Be True Substack. Also, I offer one-on-one vocal alchemy sessions for those who want guidance in expressing their own voice and truth. If you'd like an in-person or virtual session with me, please reach out. I look forward to connecting with you. Thank you for listening. Today, I have Prakash Chegu with me on the call. Prakash is a spiritual alchemist, yogi, mystic, healer, mentor, and an internationally renowned teacher. He is also a healer in an ancient yogic technology called Satnam Rasayan, and it happens in a deep meditative silence. And you actually performed this type of yogic technology on me in January this past year. Uh, first of all, welcome to, welcome to the podcast, Prakash. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, so yeah, so you performed this type of energy healing on me in January, and I came to you, and I was just crying. I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. I didn't even know you, but I feel like <laughs> my soul knew you, and I reached out to you just for guidance, really. Um, Because I have been in a deep journey of awakening, awakening, spiritual awakening. And with spiritual awakening comes many ego deaths, comes many deaths of the identity and, you know, questioning who I am and where I've been. But also in that it's like, okay, now that I'm not this person anymore, where am I going? So it was in Tulum where we met in January and you, I th- you gave a class at a workshop that I went to. And then I think you posted in a group and I reached out and I was just, you know, and you were so kind and you just sat with me as I cried for like 45 minutes. And, 
And you invited me to the Kundalini class at 9 a.m. And I started going. And I'm really glad that I did. Well, thank you. Uh, just want to clarify the healing technology, Sadhnama Sayan. Yeah, let's talk about that. It's not energy healing. Okay. Because when we do energy healing, like uh, other types, I don't want to name any of them. Uh, it's not like it's a good or a bad thing. There is a karmic exchange. When there's an energy exchange, there's a karmic exchange. So that's why it's very common that people that are doing a healing work, whether it's a massage therapist or any kind of healing. And I recently met somebody in India that uh, he does astrological con consultation and remedies for people. And he, even he gets sick after a few days if he doesn't cleanse himself properly and sometimes it becomes difficult. So, however, in this technology, we don't do anything using energy. It's even more subtle. The healing happens at the level of consciousness and intention. When we say meditative silence, there's another word we use in this uh, practice called shunya. Shunya means zero, literally translates to zero, right? So the healing happens in a state of zero. So essentially what's happening is I am not working on you or per se, uh, any of the students or patients or clients that come to work with me. I'm working on myself. How does that work? Because see, we are living in a field. There's no such thing as empty space in this universe. And they discovered this in quantum physics. They talk about the field. This is the reason quantum entanglement works, because if there's an emptiness, it wouldn't have worked as a field and the communication happens. And because of this field, Anybody that I want to connect to, whether in person, nearby, or long distance, I can tune into that person's energy field, right? I'm using energy here just to have an understanding, but it's not energy, it's the field as a whole, right? The minute I am in connection or I connected to somebody's field, that field has an influence on my field. And there's a difference that happens, the change that happens, the delta that happens, is what I notice. So I am going to work on that, and that in turn affects you, because just like I am connected in the field, you're also connected to everybody in the field. And yeah. is it possible by everyone? Yes. It is possible by everyone. The only thing we need to do this kind of healing is learn to quiet your mind. So this feel and this change is always happening. Every time you walk into a room, you notice the difference. Every time somebody leaves the room, you see the difference in the feel, right? A phone call comes in your house, 
you don't have to answer the change, the field changes because the information is already there, right? So all of this is happening and that is the foundation of Satnama Sain, right? And we can focus on a particular uh, problem area or a pain point. It could be physical, emotional, spiritual. There's no limitation on what Satnama Sain can heal. Right, and our teacher strongly suggested, do not claim to heal. Our job is just to feel. And do not diagnose, because diagnosis is sometimes a sentence. Because many people don't even have an awareness of what condition or what pain they're going through. It's deep inside, and when we feel that, our only responsibility is to guide or provide them tools that can help them heal or resolve that situation. And we don't even call any kind of disease or pain or something else. We call anything we encounter that we want to heal a resistance. A resistance to what normally is. So we work with the resistances. Wow. So also young children below the age of five or seven, uh, we cannot work on them because they have no resistance. <laughs> so when I try to work on them, this goes right through. There's no resistance, right? When I tune into the field, it's just like going through an empty space. Literally, there's no resistance. And mm. the only way to work on young children, because there are people that need some support, is working on their, typically their mother. They work on their mother because they're under their mother's field. Oh my goodness. This is so powerful, so Prakash. They don't have the field developed until the age of seven, at least till five, until seven usually. And this, you can see, this is why a lot of traditional, all over the world, traditions all over the world, say up to five years, children should be with their mothers. Right? So it's a, uh, you look at any part of the culture anywhere in the world, there is a same uh, knowledge that's present, right? It may have been delivered differently. It may have been and still being used in a different way. But if you peel the layers, the information and the knowledge and the application, it comes from the same uh, roots, right? Mm -hmm. So... Back to Satnama Sain. So this is the foundation of uh, this healing practice. And uh, it's taught under the umbrella, under the lineage of Kundalini Yogic practice. Should I keep going? Yeah, this is... <laughs> I'm really glad that you um, are bringing all of this up and just sharing more about this particular type of healing. Um, it does make sense that it's a resistance, you know, when we have certain physical ailments, emotional, mental, what are we resisting? I mean, I, yeah. I can just speak for myself and that, you know, right now, 
and working with you in your classes, my heart is just on fire. There's just like a burning in my heart. And I know that I'm working through a lot of grief right now um, and anger. And mm. um, yeah, but your your classes have been really powerful. And that's interesting that you work with the mother on the children, you know, and how it's said that they're supposed to be spending more time with them, the, with their mothers. And if the child is ill, that are, are, I'm assuming that in the healing, that it's, it's something the mom is going through and that's why the child is having the issues. More often than not, that's the case because that uh, like, stems from the karmic uh, loyalty. Most children want to take on their parents' pain uh, with or without their conscious awareness. Sometimes conscious, but oftentimes it's just like uh, they want to take on their karmic uh, struggles uh, with the notion that they may be able to help, but unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. The parents have to dissolve and transcend their own karma. The child really doesn't help by taking it. They're just replicating it. And they have also going through the same pain. However, if the child does, or the child when they become older, gets uh, through their own practice, do their own healing, that can help the parents and the prior and the future generations also, right? So, mm -hmm. so it's a strong connection between the ancestors. So when, even when the modern society and the structure, we are saying we make the families not just by birth or by blood, that is just a beautiful concept and it's a good addition, but uh, culture, and the ancestral lineage is very strong. It cannot just be changed with just your thought process, right? It forms a constellation. You form a constellation of your entire family structure, family history. Even uh, a distant relative that you haven't met uh, still forms under your constellation. So as a stronger influence on you and vice versa than somebody that you're not related to by blood. Hmm. So I'm listening and I just recently there. did ancestry.com and I'm just thinking of all of my ancestral tree and just how many people that is. And I'm like, wow, it's way more than just my parents and my grandparents. I mean, really like if we were yes. to go back to source what does that look like which means that we're ultimately healing the collective absolutely every time yeah. this is when people say a lot of the teachers say this right instead of healing the world just heal yourself because you're part of the world and every time you heal yourself not just you heal yourself that healing happens to all the people that you connected through your lineage, through your culture, through your community, through your country, and through your neighbors and your household, all of them, because they're all in the field, right? Mm -hmm. Different types of field. 
uh, it's not just talking in terms of a three-dimensional reality. This field works in many layers, right? Many different dimensions. Do you care to share more about the field? Well, uh, everything always exists in the field. There's nothing without the field. We're all part of the field and it changes from one type of the energy or manifestation in the field to a different type and different ways of transformation of this energy in the field. The speed at which the information travels is significantly faster than the speed of light because the speed of light is relying upon the manifested physical particles or waves. But when the information travels in the field, it's significantly faster. And there's different calculations based on how fast it is, but it almost feels like it's instantaneous, even as the, the far end of galaxies, because the field communicates in a different format than uh, the speed of light, because it's not using any physical particles. Interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I understand um, because recently I've my, my voice has really been opened up and you know I'm I, I just know things about people that I come in contact with and it's just at least that's how I'm relating to what you've said now just from a personal level but I know it's so much deeper than that but it's also at a galactic level in terms of what I'm feeling and happening so um wow Back to the Satnam Rasayan healing, it's under um, Kundalini Yoga. I do want to talk about that as well. So the main reason it's under Kundalini Yoga, uh, it could be with anybody, anything else also. But the main reason it comes under the Kundalini Yoga is one of the fundamental things before we do the healing uh, in Satnam Rasayan is for us to be in a deep meditative state our deep state of shunya, as I mentioned earlier, deep state of uh, silence or emptiness. And you can form that practice, uh, the meditative practice in any other meditation, any other cultures, any other forms you can do. And then you can come and perform uh, Sadhana Sayan. The intention and the idea is to be able to get into the space of shunya. And Kundalini Yoga is one of the most powerful technologies, very profound, and uh, can deliver the results that we want significantly faster than any other types of yoga or most of the spiritual practices that I have tried, practiced, learned, and heard about. So, and that's why Kundalini Yoga is uh, generally what uh, Many of our teachers talk about as Kundalini Yoga is the cake and Satnam Rasan is the frosting. So you don't want to just do the frosting, you need the cake and the frosting. Then you can enjoy the cake even more. So, and without the Satnam Rasan, cake is just a cake, you know, you need the frosting. 
Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> so what is Kundalini Yoga? Kundalini Yoga is one of the types of yoga. There's many types of yoga and uh, we call it Raj Yoga. Raj means royal, right? Royal doesn't mean sitting on a throne with a crown. It means the ability to include and serve everyone as much as possible, right? So it includes everything. It includes all aspects of it. And that is Kundalini Yoga. Kundalini Yoga is mainly composed of Kriyas. A Kriya, by definition, means completed action. However, in this context, it includes postures, popularly known as asanas, drishti, eye focus, hand gestures or mudras, bandhas, body locks, chanting, meditation, all of them are some of them combined in a specific sequence to give the desired results. So the sequence is what we call a yoga set or a kriya. And there are kriyas for almost every intention you can imagine on a physical, emotional, spiritual, and intellectual levels. This kriyas to heal your eyes, this kriyas to heal your back pain, this kriyas to heal your emotional heart pain, like the heartbreak of the broken heart. This Kriya to heal your headache. This Kriya to improve your memory. This Kriya to grow your hair better. So, Kriya for increasing your intuition. So you name it, there's a Kriya for it. And how does it work? It works because all we are doing is fine tuning the vibration. We manifest everything in our life by resonance. You don't need to write a thousand times an affirmation. You just need to be in that vibrational resonance. Whether you asked for it or you didn't ask for it, it's irrelevant. Universe responds to vibration. So when you're in that vibration, it appears in your life. There's Kriyas for prosperity. Right? All we are doing is maintaining the vibration of prosperity and the prosperity shows up in your life. This creates for strong, powerful health. We raise the vibration to that and it resonates. And everything we do changes our vibration. Moving your hands, blinking your eyes, moving your eyes to a specific direction, saying a specific word, creating a specific sound holding your body in a specific position, all of them are changing the vibration. And sometimes, oftentimes actually, you cannot get to a specific vibration without a specific path. And that's the reason that it's important to have the proper steps and not change the steps. And the timing is also essential a full Kriya, it's important to follow the full timings. However, for the sake of 
practicality and considering many people that want to practice, it is allowed to divide the different parts of the Kriya by the same proportion. And Kundalini Yoga is a powerful technology. We call it a technology of angles and triangles. We call it technology of happiness. So the position and the precision of the movement of the hand, or the position of the hand we hold, 30 degrees, 60 degrees, how much time is actually influencing physiological and biological changes in that posture. So if you don't hold the same posture, it may not be as precise as we want. So when we say technology, it means the effects are repeatable and applicable to everyone. And we have to be very precise so we can reproduce the same results. That's why we use the exact amount of time, exact sequence, and it works. It works. I've tried thousands of Kriyas personally myself and with many of my students around the world. And you see it increases the capacity for them to be a better human. The very least, the foundation of every Kundalini Kriya strengthens your nervous system, increases your caliber, and you operate from a different frequency. There is a concept of Kundalini energy. It's a primal divine feminine energy called Adi Shakti, Kundalini Shakti, is dormant at the base of our spine. And for the vast majority of the people, it moves between one, two, and three chakras. And to move from there, we need a practice that can go to our heart chakra, the fourth chakra, the fifth, Vishuddhi. Sixth, Agnya. And then, through our own practice, no specific techniques, nothing in particular, you can reach to a seventh chakra, a Sahasrara. That is a personal journey. And this process is sometimes called Kundalini awakening. And there are many cultures and many practices that often are focused heavily on raising the Kundalini energy by itself. But in Kundalini Yoga, the practice is creating a container strong enough to hold this energy when the Kundalini actually awakens. There are Kriyas to awaken Kundalini also. But the vast majority of the Kriyas are designed to have a full experience of this human life, this human body. It's designed for a householder. You don't have to be celibate. You don't have to go in a cave to meditate to have a spiritual awakening. You can live your very best domestic life, a family life, and still apply Kundalini Yoga in your life. 
what typically takes hours and years. It happens within a very small amount of time in Kundalini Yoga, so you can still live your domestic life. And it's generally very different than other forms of yoga. Personally, I would say you would learn alphabets, but at some point you want to start using these alphabets to start making sentences and meaningful sentences. So the postures, the breath, the chanting, the meditation, all of them we are creating a meaningful sentence we call a kriya. If you have a better posture, better breathing, it makes you even more powerful, more accurate, and the results are more tangible. And Kundalini yoga oftentimes is considered dangerous. I would say anything that's powerful tends to be dangerous. And that's why we use this container, the structure of Kriyas, to make sure we use the energy in a proper, systematic way. Like fire can be dangerous, knife can be dangerous, electricity can be dangerous, if you don't know how to use them. But when we know how to use them, it's a very powerful tool. It's a life-transforming and very, very refined tool. So how was this energy discovered? Kundalini Yoga has no known origins. It's been practiced for a few thousand years at least. And the story, the story is uh, said to be many thousand years ago. And Adiyogi was meditating and people were feeling the vibration and his radiance for thousands of miles and they came and gathered for many, many years and he was still in meditation. And they left, many people left. And after many, many years, there were only seven people that were left. So they, when he opened his eyes, they asked him, what is this you're practicing, can you teach us? He taught this yoga to these seven people. And these seven people were sent to different directions in the world. So we call them Saptarishis, seven sages. So when we say Rishi, or a people that you see wearing a robe and meditating with a bun on their head, it could be anything today, but traditionally they were scientists. Right? They were, Rishi means a sage or a scientist. They questioned everything, explored and experimented everything. So. Interesting. Yeah, when you said sage and scientist, my voice just activated and opened up. I was on mute, <laughs> but I definitely had a vibrational resonance with that. And it's through the voice that it comes out. Wow. And usually it's a response to truth. So when people yes. speak something, it's like my body just will have this 
resonance. Yeah, it's a resonance. It's, it's a resonance, really. And um, so there were seven. And then uh, does it say where they went throughout the world? The We have seven continents in the world. So it said they went to seven continents, all different directions, right? And the word, uh, the number seven is so significant in our culture. We have seven seas and seven days, seven chakras in our body, right? I mean, we have more, but seven main chakras, like Maha chakras, we call it. Uh, so it's the right amount of distribution that we need to be fully aligned, fully supported integrated how did you find this practice or how did it find you well you know i've been practicing many parts of yoga since my childhood my parents had a uh, pretty traditional family so we had a prayer room or puja room, like uh, where we had all the mantras and chanting. And uh, it was nice for us to go learn. There was never any kind of pressure of any sorts. If we wanted, they would teach us and stuff. So from the early ages, uh, I was interested and it was natural. And then I also started getting into yogasana right, the physical postures and the practice of yoga in my school or during the breaks in the summer and holidays and stuff like that. And even in the breaks, I would uh, dive deep into studying and chanting and learning mantras with a group of friends. It was completely not in a curriculum. Uh, <laughs> my grandma's house and my aunt's house and places like that, I would gather a group of uh, neighbors, friends, cousins, whatever, create and learn these mantras for weeks or months and then demonstrate to people and our families. So there was an interest. Uh, and then I got into an engineering school. Uh, it was definitely a part of me that didn't want to agree with any of this anymore. Everything had to be science and technology and proofs and validations and uh, reasoning and everything. And uh, that was a very interesting part of my journey because uh, my curiosity was uh, always leading me to explore every single aspect of my life. And then you see all these uh, very advanced quantum physics research coming out, papers coming out, how they're working, the functionings of the brain, the functionings of the thought process, they're all coming down to mantras, sound vibration, and including food, right? For a while when I was uh, my earlier part of living in the US, like uh, I didn't even explore or connect with Indian food. I was eating what was close to me. And then I was ex as I was exploring and learning more about medicinal food, it came out to be 
they do it. Bringing all these together, I was understanding and connecting back to bridging the gap between science and spirituality. Understanding that science and spirituality is the same thing perceived from a different vantage point. So the higher you go, because I have a lot of students that are engineers and they come and question me about this. And when you're working or looking at the science from a Newtonian version, Newtonian model, we talk about Newtonian physics. Yes. And that's where a lot of people in the engineering and the technology field are coming from. But when you bring them to the Einstein physics or quantum physics, there's no difference between the spirituality and the physics from that level, the quantum physics. And I feel it's the same with the spirituality. You're at a specific level and you start going deeper and deeper. You understand is all science. Every single thing from every practice we do, every ritual, every habit, every culture, and the majority of the cultures had a very profound scientific implication that were not tangible, but at a very quantum level, it was serving the people, the countries. So you began to understand this. Yes, I needed to understand this. And uh, I was teaching meditation, I was teaching manifestations. and then it started pushing me deeper and deeper into spiritual practices. Even though I was teaching business manifestations, it came out, all of them are how you prime and tune your brain and connect to the universe, how much you present all of them. And then all my teachers and friends and coaches that I was working with, everybody kept telling me I should practice more yoga because I was, hadn't practiced yoga for a while at this point. I was doing meditations, and I would go to different yoga classes. Nothing resonated. Everything felt so slow. This was, this was particularly I was feeling, like the traditional yoga, it felt very slow and very boring. And finally, uh, I stumbled upon Kundalini Yoga, and... The first class I felt and I went, it just felt like this is me. It works for me. And then I kept going every day that I have never went to yoga class two days in a row. <laughs> I went every day. It was powerful and profound. And I felt like my body was buzzing. It was almost like, uh, I don't know how to even say this because I've never been addicted to any substances, but this felt like it was my addiction. I was looking forward to class every day. It was in San Diego and uh, it was different teachers, different day teaching Kundalini yoga. So I would go every day and I tried to go to different yoga one day, but it didn't resonate the same with me. And I just wanted more. And uh, one hour a day wasn't gonna be enough. 
sorry, signed up uh, for teacher training. So just so I can have a deeper practice. And it was a very profound experience. And a lot of the things that I had learned all my life were put in a proper container and proper structure. So it all made sense and learning more Kriyas then getting exposed to Satnam Rasayan. And when I would teach a class, even in teacher training, I would see how much it changed people in just one class. When I would do a healing session for a person, it changed them dramatically, even physical conditions. So it just... Uh, gave me a lot of uh, information and tools with a proper container that helped me to go deeper into the practice. And eventually I was asked to teach and I started teaching. I didn't teach for a few years after the teacher training because that wasn't my intention. It was just uh, my own personal curiosity and experiences. Uh, I was still focused mainly on my businesses. But then when I was in Europe, I was asked to teach from a friend. And uh, I did uh, a workshop. As a matter of fact, my very first workshop was uh, what we call Art of Shunya. And till this day, Shunya is one of the favorite conversations and topics for me to teach. It's very powerful, goes very deep, and can have a powerful impact on people. Uh, and then people had such profound experiences. I was asked to do many workshops. Subsequently, for the next few months, I stayed and then it's still going on, teaching around the world, traveling and sharing these things. And it feels I've just started the journey even after many, many years uh, because there's so much to integrate and learn and share and experience. And every time the deeper I go, it feels more humbling at the same time, more gratification. It's a unique combination of humility and gratitude. Well, I'm very thankful that um, you went down this path. What was your awakening like? Did you have any, you know, you mentioned Kundalini, Kundalini awakening, and I have two questions. I mean, did you have just a major catalyst moment where the tower happened and then you had to come back from that? And then also... um what are signs of a kundalini awakening? Because you mentioned that it it can be dangerous if there's not proper container in order to maintain that level of energy. Um, and then I also know practices that like try to provide an immediate kundalini awakening, and that can be very disruptive for the nervous system. Um, so maybe we could start with what are the symptoms of a kundalini awakening if i may i want to explain the process of kundalini awakening and then we can yeah, get to that yeah that sounds perfect so as i mentioned uh we have 114 chakras 
in our body. Okay. And I'm not going to go into that, but we're going to just talk about the seven major chakras, right? So how we live our life, what chakra we're operating from signifies the quality of your life. Okay. All the chakras are essential. It's not like one chakra is better than the other, but we have to start engaging all the chakras for us to live in the highest possible way. And the chakras in an ideal situation are unblocked and flowing properly and clearly. And <clears throat> we have three major channels or nadis. There's 72,000 nadis. We have three major ones. The central channel is called Sushmana. And then we have Ida and Pingala, the left and the right channel. Even though it's not a mainstream awareness, this concept is being used in all the healing systems, including the symbolism of the medical societies. You see a staff and two snakes or two serpents around. That is how the Kundalini energy, the Sushmana, the Ida and the Pingala are represented. Sometimes they want to represent the energy and what it means without having to explain because there's too much questions and too much resistance from the public and societies. So Kundalini is being used in all the healing systems, whether it's mainstream or otherwise. As we all know, the logos of the American Medical Society is a staff with two serpents, right? So that's a Kundalini representation. So, wow, I did not know that, actually. Yes, it is. I'm going to do some research. That's fascinating. The central channel, Sushmana, is where the Kundalini energy rises through. It moves through the different chakras. The energy rises through these chakras. And we use body locks or bandhas when the energy rises like a valve. It flows one way. You create a lock and then it goes further up. You create a lock. And it goes up. So the, energy, the Kundalini awakening, what we call, is operating from a higher chakra than what you worked on before. Okay? So if you, for the most part of your life, if uh, a person has operated from the root chakra and they move to a third or a fourth chakra, it feels like a huge awakening. Okay? But the full awakening is when the energy rises up completely, all the way up, goes to your seventh chakra, and creates a flow like a cascading waterfall. So this is what a lot of people experience when they have an awakening. And in Kundalini Yoga, the practice is about making sure the body is strong enough to allow this process. When the Kundalini energy is rising, the physical voltage that moves through your nervous system gets increased. So if your body, specifically your nervous system, is not strong enough, people can go into psychosis. They can go into neurosis. They can have a ringing ear, titinus. All of these things are possible because your body is not strong enough. Just like, you know, imagine you buy a really old house with a very old electrical system. 
and you put a brand new fridge, the first time you turn it on, it's going to break the fuse. Worse, it could create an electrical fire because it's drawing so much electricity from the wires that it's not able to hold. Our body is no different. So when you raise the energy, we need to make sure our nervous system is strong enough at the very basic level. Then our physical bodies also need to be strong, right? So when this awakening happens, this is the fundamental necessity for us to make sure we can integrate the awakening. So if your awakening happens, whether through accident or through other techniques or through somebody else, somebody's initiation or diksha, the awakening happens, you feel it, you feel the surge go through, but then it drops. But that is not what we need. That's just one surge of movement that happened. What we really need is to harness the energy that goes up back into our sushmana and create that flow consistently. It keeps moving into constant flow of this energy at all times. So it's not a awakening that's one time that happens and you're, you're awakened. You open the gate, that's beautiful. But then to maintain is also consistent practice and maintaining of that energy. It's just like when people say, getting into MIT is much easier than getting out of it. Right? It's like, that is a hard thing to do, but considering how much work they have to put in to come out of it, graduate from it, is so much harder, right? So same thing, Kundalini awakening is somewhat similar. It's a very powerful, deep, committed practice that you need to create to have an awakening. But to maintain that consistently is much more deep, challenging, and necessary for us to have an experience. And when you have, when you have an awakening, the misconception is everything gets easy. No, everything actually sometimes even gets harder because you're vibrating at a much higher level. So challenges that you're coming into your life are at that level. It's just like when you go to kindergarten, your parents tell you, study well, you go to good school in first grade. Of course you study well. Then you go study well, you go to good middle school. You study well, you go to good high school, then you go to good university. Do you think it got easier of what you're studying in a university in the first grade? No, it didn't. You just learned more, acquired more tools and resources, do you want to be in the first grade for the rest of your life? No, you don't. It's the same thing in spiritual progress and spiritual growth. It doesn't mean it gets easier. Oftentimes it gets more challenging. But at the same time, if it is the same, you're playing at the level of the first grade, your life will feel very boring and monotonous and mundane. You don't feel satisfaction. 
you want to grow, you want to play at the next level up, you want to play in a bigger leagues. And that is what spiritual awakening or Kundalini awakening really means, right? And yes, you, you passed with flying colors in the 10th grade, but you may be having very difficult time in the university. So you may spend more time there, right? And that's also what happens in spiritual awakening. You go higher, but each level, based on the support you get, based on the teachers, based on your own practice, based on your alignment, based on what you're going through in your life, what kind of support system, who's draining your energy, whether it's a relationship or a family or a job that takes away from your spiritual practice, right? So this is what Kundalini Awakening does. When this is the flow, you see, it can be challenging, but also with grace. You see people that are having difficult situations, but they're living with without complaints, with great stride, they show up to it. Just because it's a challenge, they don't hide from it. Because they know they invited it. They know they earned this challenge. We can take the same or similar examples in any form of life. For example, if for somebody is a gamer, they're playing games on computers or some mobile phones or anything, right? You go levels up. Every time you level up, the games get more difficult, right? Do you want it to be super easy? Then you won't play. You will not play if the game is the same easiness from one to level 50. And it's the same. Human beings will not engage in life if it's super easy. We say we want easy life, but we don't want an easy life. I know many people that call me and tell me my life is so boring. I have everything is so perfect. <laughs> right? I hope to be one of those people one day. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, this is the path of spiritual awakening, spiritual growth, right? You have the tools, you go through any level that you're playing, right? And once you graduate from one level to the next level, you're playing at that level until you go to the next level. So and what would you, you say the purpose of the Kundalini awakening is? Is it to strengthen our ability to withstand the hard knocks of life or to... What would you say is, is like the point of it all? Well, it's human experience is to live life to the fullest potential, okay? And if you're not awakened, let's say, you're living a very basic level of life. And the more awakened you are, the more experiences you're having, okay? The more deeper. Sometimes the depths of the pain and sorrow gives you the ability to experience bliss and joy at a much higher level than a person that didn't experience that depth of sorrow. Okay? So same situations can give you different levels of experience. 
that bliss and that ecstasy and that joy and that equanimity. So the ultimate goal of our ex existence is to experience. Right? We can complain about it when it's difficult, but we came here to experience it. Right? And yes, the vast majority of the people want to be liberated from the cycle of life and death, but that's a goal after this life. Right? But in this life, you still have to have a full experience. And for different people, it means different experiences. And based on your presence and karmic structure of your life, of your soul, for some people, it's having a very powerful business, building a powerhouse of economy and monetary container. And for some people, it's delving deep into relationships being the best husband, best daughter, best wife. And for some people, it's going deep into a spiritual practice. And we can identify this based on your astrology. What is your primary purpose? And you will notice this. For example, let's say if my purpose is to generate wealth and I'm focusing more on spirituality Generating wealth for me would be more easy than teaching spirituality. And even if I go this way, it keeps opportunities keep coming in the other way. So, so we don't have to say somebody that's a yoga teacher teaching spirituality is a better person than somebody that's making billions of dollars, working a lot of time, and uh, or somebody that's just a housewife. Right? So it's their purpose. They are there doing their very best job. So if you're able to identify what you're doing, you can have the Kundalini awakening and be the best mother you can be. You can be the best employee you can be. The idea is the glorification of spiritual awakening. If you have a spiritual awakening, you need to be sitting on a Mount Everest and teaching to everyone. That is the wrong perception of spiritual awakening. Some people have a purpose to teach even though they don't have a spiritual awakening. Right? There is a very powerful Tibetan teacher called Milarepa who lived many hundreds of years ago. He got more deeper and powerful enlightenment than his own teacher. Then his teacher became his teacher, right? I mean, his teacher became a student. Hmm. He became the teacher of his teacher. So it's a container that we've created, the idea that spirituality means this. The spirituality is your existence. The very word spire, to means to breathe, means if you're breathing, you're spiritual. Right? So it, it has this idea Sometimes we use spirituality means being conscious, being awake, being, doing the right things and all the stuff. Yes, it's healthy to have that understanding, but the very definition of spirituality means to breathe, right? So if you're breathing fully, you're spiritual. 
So when we have this life uninterrupted, moving through all these parts of our chakras, an ability to live a very conscious life, we have an awakening. And for some people, it has very dramatic effects. For some people, it's very subtle. It's almost not noticeable, but the changes do happen, right? So, for example, you know, when you're flying in an airplane, many people call me and tell me, I don't feel anything. I've been doing this practice for like two weeks, two years, whatever, nothing's happening. You know, when you're flying long distances in an airplane, you go through for hours sometimes without feeling anything. The plane is so quiet, it feels like it's not even moving. Mm -hmm. What happens, right? You you get up in the morning at four o'clock, you do your practice, you do the right thing, you have a healthy life, you're kind to people, you practice again in the evening, go to bed, you do this routine for years and years and people say, I'm not noticing anything. Yes, because you're in the plane going at 40,000 feet above the ground, going at 1,000 uh, kilometers an hour. So you don't feel anything, but you are going 1,000 kilometers an hour from the perspective that's not inside the plane, right? <laughs> so we get addicted. We get addicted to this movement, to this chaos, to the confusion, to the stimulation. And that's why people sometimes want constant stimulations, right? The spiritual practice is not about stimulation. Spiritual practice is about healing and growth and moving at a pace that is so phenomenal that you don't even know you're flying. Thank you for that. It is. And about, well, I, I see a few things, just perspective, one, and then also the addiction to the chaos and for stimulation and just wanting to see shifts and changes. And, um, but thank you. That meant a lot. I'm looking forward to reflecting on that. That being said, um, you have a program coming up. Yes. You are Kundalini School. It is about the 11 bodies of Kundalini. And so why don't you just briefly touch on that? And then um, I'd love for people to know how they can join this program, get in touch with you, start practicing Kundalini with you. Um, yeah, I'd love to learn more about that. Thank you for asking me about it. So in Kundalini Yoga, we've classified the body into 11 bodies, okay? 10 bodies and the 11th body is all inclusive. So they are soul, negative mind, positive mind, neutral mind, physical body, arc line, aura, chronic body, subtle body, radiant body, an all-inclusive body. These are the 11 bodies that we have. This is not in the order of importance. 
we need all 11 bodies and if any of them don't exist we won't be alive so working with each body allows us to move through different challenges different problems that we have each person based on when they're born according to numerology we follow in the kundalini yoga have a specific body as a gift as a challenge as a support as a resistance and their path so we use these five numbers sometimes six for your relationship we use these five numbers on which body is supporting you in which way so for example if somebody's path is five they tend to be a teacher they naturally thrive to be a teacher right so if somebody is an eight they naturally tend to be a business owner or business leader so these tendencies are built into each of our bodies and what we're working with to understand and heal you operate your life at a much higher vibration with so much grace allowing you to live your full experience with prosperity abundance and grace and filled with love light and relationships so it's very powerful to work on all the 11 bodies and know what bodies are supporting you and what bodies you need to leverage because those are your gifts is such a gift for us to have that awareness so we can live a much more conscious and healthy life and it will be available online uh, we will be teaching that class every saturday for the next uh, 11 weeks and we create a simple website called kundalini.school where it lists all the 11 bodies and what are the benefits or the functions of each body and it also gives a brief description about what kundalini yoga is and what the 11 bodies are and you can sign up there it's a lot of information comprised in 11 weeks and we create this container of a school or a course because when you consistently commit and practice in a group setting you show up more often and you experience these changes there's also a support of a fellow practitioner a fellow yogi sharing what they're going through that you feel that you may have the same thing or support them with your experiences so it's a powerful practice very helpful no matter what part of life that you're in and even if you've never done any kind of spiritual practice this will help and if you are a kundalini practitioner kundalini teacher this will still help because we will go deeper integrating a lot of the information that you probably have not seen or learned before powerful powerful and for those listening i've been doing kundalini with prakash every morning between the hours of 8 and 9 a.m., depending on where I've been living, either in Tulum or Atlanta, uh, pretty much every day. I'm, and, and in the beginning, it was uh, 
tried to be consistent, but I'm at a point where I was like, this is so important to me. I have to make it even if I'm driving in the car and I can't do the practice, I will still just join the Zoom. <laughs> and because I've just seen the power of this particular practice more allow me to more deeply connect to myself, to my spirit, to my own energy. And just learning about Dristi's, you know, which is the focus, you know, of the, the eye gazing. I uh, learned about that last weekend. I'm in another program that um, Prakash is leading and that was totally transformative. And I've been practicing those all week and I've seen a significant difference. And as I'm looking, using these drishtis, whether that's at the tip of my nose or my third eye or my crown chakra or the back of my head, you know, I even bring my eye gaze into my heart and I'll, I'll start noticing my body feeling a certain type of frequency or certain emotions rising. And, and I'm in a season of just doing a lot of, um, observing and also I was going to say clearing, but <laughs> You know, um, yeah, so it, it's a powerful practice and, um, I'm really looking forward to this program and, um, I'm so grateful for you and for those that are interested, um, I'll put some links here where you could join us every morning. I'd like to ask you one more question and coming on the human be true podcast. What do you know to be true in the present moment? Life is always evolving and sometimes we feel we are living in the most challenging times but at the same time we are also living in the most comfortable time in human evolution. It's just that the information is more accessible to everyone readily so we see the challenges that are going on and we can use the same communication information network to use the healing tools and the resources and all the good that's happening in the world also. And when people often respond to this by saying, but are you turning a blind eye to all the atrocities that's happening? No, we're not turning the blind eye to the atrocities that are happening. The best way to heal the world is through vibration and healing by one person at a time. So instead of feeling helpless, we can heal yourself and your neighbors and your friends. One person, that's one less person suffering. Any kind of person that's committing any kind of abuse or trauma or pain is a person that's wounded, that needs healing. And we can do that by starting the healing with ourselves and our immediate circle and expand that circle to as big as we go. There was a research conducted in New York City, unannounced, in the most crime-infested area. About 50 Buddhist monks went there and meditated without telling anybody. Of course, they knew the law enforcement agencies and everything, they collaborated with that. That during the time they were there for two weeks, the crime rates dropped enormously. And none of these people knew. So even though we may not be tangibly helping some people that we're not connected to. By raising the vibration of yourself through your own practice, you're helping the whole world, both tangibly and intangibly. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Human Be True podcast. I'm Tori Madison, your host. If you're interested in learning more about the Kundalini Yoga course led by Prakash Chagu, feel free to check the link in the description of this podcast, or you can go to kundalini.school for more information. You can also message me. I'll be happy to introduce you to Prakash. Or you can just telepathically communicate to me and I'll be able to receive your message energetically through the power of Kundalini Yoga. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, this is a fantastic class. It's totally transformed my life. There is a Kriya a mantra, a mudra, a drishti for everything, for every illness, for every emotion, and um, really for any type of manifestation that you desire. There is a kriya. I look forward to seeing you guys in class. I thought I'd leave you with a song that I recorded last summer. But in this song, it was very much, uh, there was a portion of the song that was inspired by a Kundalini class that I took before I started going to Prakash Chegu's classes. So it's just basically meant to be that I'm doing Kundalini yoga. Um, But in this song, we mention Had, 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 which is a mantra. And I say mantra like I'm back in Mexico. If, you're, if you speak English, it's a mantra, but I always say mantra because I was living in Mexico for a while. So anyways, har, the mantra, the mantra har means God is the creative infinity. It's a prosperity practice that affirms our ability to co-create with God. What's even more wild is that this song is called Your Body Starts to Vibrate. And that's what was happening to me. My body was vibrating through the power of kundalini energy that was moving through my body on a regular, consistent basis. So the song is called Your Body Starts to Vibrate. I hope you enjoy it. Stay true, true sapiens.